When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, more everybody, hello. Welcome to Mummy Las Vegas for Cuss with myself, Greg Apes Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you as Joining me in segment number two, we've got Greg Waddell aboard. He does an amazing job over at the Field of 68, over at Action Network, Sleepers Media, and so much more. We're going to take a little bit of a look at the lay of the land in the Big Ten. We're going to take a look at a few games that we've got for Thursday, preview this big Big East versus Big 12 challenge, and just really look at the landscape of college basketball and where we are at in terms of the top teams in terms of how much better slash indifferent they are in comparison to the middle class of college basketball. So we got a nice wide-ranging chat there, along with a surprise team in the Big Ten that both of us are looking out for as well. So that's going to be coming up in the second segment. In the final segment, we're going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. And here in segment number one, we're going to recap what we all saw in college basketball on late Tuesday and early Wednesday. I always have to do these in a little bit in advance because the Greg Peterson experience is from midnight to 3 Eastern, which is 9 to midnight Pacific time. So we always do our best with those. And if you ever do have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind letters M. They mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And we did get in a few questions. I know that I was asked about this by Rudy Knows FBB. He was asking me about how we go about trying to predict regression with a lot of these teams because we know that regression is going to kick in, but you just don't know when that is going to be. And it is a very interesting topic to be able to dive in on because I feel like it's one of those things where you just have yourself on red alert and you don't want to be one of those people as like betting against a team four or five times. It's like, hey, regression came in. Like I deal with that a lot in the baseball season. For those that listen to the baseball betting show, you've got these pitchers that 
are getting like four strikeouts per nine innings and their ERA is like one. You just sit there and you're like, there's no way this is sustainable. But at the same time, sometimes the number is out of whack. And I do think the big key is taking a look at what the actual number is because Every team has a buy point. Every team has a sell point. And if you do see a team shooting like north of 40% from three, like a team that I went up against because it holds true not just for your shooting percentage, but defensive shooting percentage as well. UMass Lowell, they got the job done on Wednesday, but they were unable to cover. They were allowing opponents to shoot 22.1% from three-point range. Like you fully recognize that they're a good defense, but you know they aren't that good of a defense. And you adjust by maybe like a point or two instead of a team typically going like, we're just going to spitball a number 6 of 19 from 3. I think that that's a pretty fair number. Maybe you think, okay, maybe on this day they go 7 of 19 from 3-point range. Have a little bit of balance. You try to look for some positivity and some negativity without going completely overboard. You don't want to be just like, oh, they've had a hot start to the season. We need to downgrade them by 10 points, but maybe award like a point of cushion. If you're right there on the border on a play, maybe that's what pushes you over the top. And I think that that's the best way of being able to dive in. And once again, you're not betting teams, you're betting numbers. And sometimes you might think that a team is doing for regression, but you still find value on them, which happens to me honestly quite a bit in terms of college basketball because the books themselves, they are not thinking it is for real as well. So I mean, it's really, really difficult to do. There's a lot of elements that go into it and it is, as is every handicap, situation by situation. And then we get this one in from one Brian Wilson. And that's how I factor free throw shooting into my handicap. And I think the biggest key with regards to free throw shooting, because he noticed exactly what I am as well. You've got a lot of teams that are not shooting well at the free throw line thus far this year. I have no idea what's happened, but these teams are really shooting horribly from the free throw line. But... I think the biggest thing that you do want to take a look at is how frequently does a team both get to the free throw line and also fell. Like in a Virginia game, a team that traditionally they don't fell a lot, they play very close to the vest, they do a nice job of being able to keep things clean. Free throw shooting is not going to come into account in that game as much as it is, say, against a very physical team. Like, Houston does a really good job of everything on defense, except they will foul you a little bit more, and you'll go to the free throw line. In a game against Houston versus a game against Virginia, you do want to be factoring it in a little bit more, and you do want to take a look at a team's track record in terms of free throw shooting as well. Like, Villanova, perfect example. They've been leading college basketball in free throw shooting percentage the last few years. They're still doing a tremendous job at the free throw line this year, and it's a team that you're able to trust and meanwhile you've got some of these teams like I remember good old St. Louis a few years ago for those of you guys that remember our good friend I believe it was Hassan French was over there for St. Louis I remember the last name it was old Frenchy he would just miss every single free throw it was just so brutal and it's like man, I can't lay five in a game with St. Louis because in a five-point spread, you know that there's going to be late-game felling, and you know it's going to turn into hack a French. He's going to miss a bunch of free throws, and my bet is going to be going up into a fiery heap of smoke. So it is very situational in this as well, but looking at the foul rate along with those percentages, I think it's just as big. So hopefully that answers all of your questions for today, and we had ourselves a nice day of basketball Wednesday. Again, do have to record this a little bit early, so we do not know the set final in terms of some of the late games from the SEC versus ACC challenge. I'm doing this just as Duke versus Arkansas is getting started. So we'll have a little bit of cleanup on the podcast tomorrow. But let's take a look at everything that we did get. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. One game from 
Tuesday to polish off as well. When I went off, you saw Clemson be able to get the win against Alabama. This by a count of 85-77 to 77 for Clemson. They go 11-21 of 21 from three-point range. Absolutely scorched it. And if you like me had the under in this game, how about a hearty 65 points in the first half and 97 in the second half? That'll just happen with the old Crimson Tide. But for Alabama, they saw their three-point shooting percentage, which entered in this game right around about 48%. Take a little bit of a nose dive. They go 11-35 from three, and for Alabama, to their credit, they did a solid job winning the turnover battle 11-7. to They did a solid job on the glass, but this was just too much P.J. Hall. He was able to put in there 21 points, go 3-5 from three, and Ian Sheffelen, how about this guy? He was just gelling out there. 14 rebounds out of him, and Clemson now 6-0, and their best start in quite some time, and for Alabama, second loss of the season. I still like what I'm seeing out of this Alabama team, but certainly a little bit off-putting there, and if you laid the points with UNLV, missed free throws costed you that cover on Tuesday, 72 to 70. Akron, my plus three, was able to get there. So I was feeling very good about that. And then in terms of what we did see on the Wednesday card, you saw an absolute massive win for St. Joe's. 78 to 65. They go on the road in the Big Five Classic and they get it done. For our Villanova, you did have Justin Moore give you more of 17 points, but Villanova goes just 10 of 37 for three. And for St. Joe's, they were not average Joe's on this night. 14 of 27 from three-point range. Xavier Brown, a blistering four of five from three-point range off the bench. You were able to get 24 points out of Eric Reynolds to be able to help out on the boards. You had Rashier Fleming be able to chip in there 12 points, 11 rebounds for St. Joe's. They did a good job of winning the turnover battle as well. They won that battle by a count of 17 to 11. And how about this winding road for St. Joe's? This is their last four games. They lose at home to Texas A&M Commerce. They take Kentucky to overtime on the road at Rupp. They win a single-digit game against Sacred Heart. Now they go on the road and they win by double digits against Villanova. Ladies and gentlemen, college basketball during the 2023-24 season. So that's going to be certainly interesting to take note of. And man, this is just sad when you see this. Albany State goes on the road and knocks off Florida A&M in double overtime. When you're losing to a non-D1 school on your home floor, it's not great. And for Florida A&M, they are right there in competition with our good friends Mississippi Valley State for worst team in all of college basketball right now. Been very much less than savory for them. Meanwhile, high point has been a high point for your bankroll. They win, they cover against Morgan State by a count of 77 to 59. And all of a sudden, you got this high point team that's been on a really nice run of being able to cover so many numbers. It depended upon your closing number in that game against Hofstra, but really that I think they've covered every single game thus far this season. They were a bit of an underdog against Wofford in that game against Queens. I believe they were north of a two-point underdog there as well, but this team has really been able to make you some money thus far this season. They're going to be a force out there in the Big South. So that's a team that certainly is in my notebook. So is Princeton. Now, with Princeton, they were unable to cover 15 and a half, and this looked like it was going to be getting away from them. Bucknell was actually up by double figures early on in the second half, but Princeton, they make a nice bonsai charge, 85 to 71. They're able to take down the old bracket bus and bison, and for Princeton, I believe that this was their first on cover of the season as well. And for Princeton, to their credit, they've already got road slash neutral court wins against Hofstra, Rutgers, Duquesne, and Monmouth. This team is even better than they were a season ago. Caden Pierce, he chips in their 22 big points. Didn't have as profound of an impact on glass as he's had in past games, but for Princeton. They have four turnovers and they shoot 43.5% from three-point range in this game. Just absolutely impressive what we're seeing on them and that's a force to be reckoned with. Ohio State was able to 
really hold it down on Wednesday. They get the win. They get the cover against Central Michigan by kind of 88-61. to 61. And quite frankly, this team was able to run and hide. If you had the points with Central Michigan, you thought you might have a chance with about three and a half minutes remaining. But nope, Ohio State, they were able to do a solid job of being able to seal that game late as off the bench. You had a royal amount of 11 points from Devin Royal. And for Ohio State, how about Bruce Thornton being able to chip in there 25 points? Ohio State wins a rebound battle by a count of 44 to 30 and the turnover battle 15 to 8 as well. So a pretty impressive showing out of them. And then you had a nice showing out of Wake Forest. They were a home underdog and they take down Florida by kind of 82 to 71. Now for Florida, they were without Micah Hangel on one of their main low post pieces. And you tell that that was affecting them a little bit as they lose a battle on glass 34 to 33 to a Wake Forest team that once again, you've right now got four guys that is giving you all the scoring. Austin Carr, Kevin Boopy Miller, along with Cameron Hildreth, Hunter Salas. They had all but seven of the team's points in this game. It's absolutely hilarious. I mean, typically, at the very least, have five guys that are all chipping in there. Right now, for Wake Forest, it's just four, but those four guys are doing a relatively solid job, and they're going to be a team that I'm going to be taking note of moving forward, a team that you might be, want to be taking a look at in terms of a fade. Why Army was a favorite on Wednesday, the world may never know. They fall to Central Connecticut State by kind of 79-51, to 51, and for this Army bunch, they were able to get a cover against Indiana to begin the season, and I believe that when they played against Binghamton, they were able to get a cover as well, but this team, they have been able to break the uh, 60-point plateau twice as far this season, and it's really not looking great for them. So, and certainly something that is stowed away currently as I do this podcast. We don't know the exact final, but Boston College got on a 29-14 run to begin their game against Vanderbilt. It looks like it's going to be a very, very long season for the Commodores, and it looks like this Tennessee defense is not what it once was. They got just completely smoked. I mean, they should have been named the Tennessee Hickory because they gave up 100 points to North Carolina, 192 the final as for Tennessee, Dalton Connect was able to connect for 37 points, but yeah, for North Carolina, they go 12 of 28 from three-point range. R.J. Davis goes 5 of 11 from distance. Harrison Ingram, 4 of 8 from the outside. Armando Baycott, he does what he does. He was able to put in there a double-double. North Carolina wins the turnover battle by count of 12 to 9, and for Tennessee, just a very, very rough game to say the least, and we need to check in to see how this one goes, but right now we're in double overtime between LaSalle and Temple with that game being a big Big nip and tuck game. Those Philly five games are just absolutely tremendous, by the way. And this is absolutely tremendous as well. What we're going to be able to see out of Dayton moving forward as I do this podcast. Currently, they're in a two-point game with SMU. Dayton did close right around about a pick And right now, as I do this, they're 9 of 19 from three-point range with Deron Holmes chipping in their 19 points. They're having to overcome the fact that Malachi Smith, their main point guard, is out of the fold for the rest of the season. And for SMU, this team is just very much one that can't connect from the outside as I do this with about two minutes remaining. Four of 18 from three-point range. Honestly, not high expectations to say the least for them moving forward. And again, I will need to polish up the Duke versus Arkansas and Florida State versus Georgia games on the podcast tomorrow, along with Auburn versus Virginia Tech, which that game got off to a good start for Auburn early with them up like 18 to 6 in the first 10 minutes of that one. And if you are taking a look at the landscape of college basketball, we're going to be mentioning some of these things in segment number two with our good friend Greg Waddell as well. But it has just continued to be over Palooza in college basketball over the last seven days. Over its continued at a clip of about 54.5%. This is just the last seven days in college basketball, but 149 overs to 124 unders. I don't think we've had a single push on the total along the way. Meanwhile, overall for the 
season, we've had like eight total pushes. And the over sitting at 52%, 559 overs, 515 unders. But we have also noticed that the favorites started to dry up a little bit. 541, 526, and 16 against the spread overall for the season. And if you look at the last seven days, 124, 148, and one against the spread is a mark for favorites. So that's what we're seeing right now in college basketball. And that's what we all got on a Wednesday. Now coming up next, we talk with Greg Waddell. We're going to be chatting with him because he does amazing work over at Sleepers Media. A little bit about the Big Ten. We're going to be taking a look at this Big 12 versus Big East battle as well. We're also going to be diving in on what we've all noticed this year in the hierarchy of college basketball. How much more dominant is Purdue than everyone else in the Big Ten as well? We're going to be diving into that and so much more next. Right here on Tuscan Season with myself, David Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. 
tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. Welcome to Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is always great to be joined by this man. You know him from his great work over at the Field of 68. You know him as one half of Sleepers Media, along with our good friend Carter Elliott. He's now doing tremendous work over at Action Network, taking a look at mostly college basketball, though I know that he dabbles in a little bit of college foosball as well, but we've got Greg Woodell aboard. He does amazing work out there in the great state of Michigan, and you're able to follow him on Twitter slash X at GWizzy12, and it is Greg Squared on the podcast today, and there's nothing better than that, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Nothing better indeed, Greg. It's great to be back with another Greg, one of the best Gregs in the business. Dare I say the best Greg in the business. I'm just shooting for second. Hey, I got to be honest, Greg. I'm on a bit of a cold betting streak right now, and I've seen you tweeting some some moral influencers for me in the last week, trying to reinvigorate yourself, going through something similar. So I'm hoping by the end of this, this can be a little cathartic for us and so we can get back on track. Absolutely. Typically, Festivus happens in late December. It's never going to have it in late November, and hopefully that'll drum up some good support for December and moving forward. So I absolutely love what we've got going on. And what have been some of your thoughts through the first, we'll call it three and a half weeks of the college basketball season? Because I do feel like it's been a little bit more random with these non-conference tournaments because I felt like the first two weeks prior to those tournaments, we knew what we were getting a little bit more, but I do think things get very much thrown off when you do have these teams coming in on back-to-back days, playing in just foreign environments in general. And now that we've got these true home games, I feel like we can gauge properly how much the home advantage is worth and I do feel like it gets a little bit easier when we get to the month of December. I think you're right that it gets easier as time goes on. I think my biggest takeaway from the start of this season is that anything I think I know I don't know. Straight up. I just keep getting baffled every single night by the results in this sport. Seemingly things that make sense stop making sense every day. Things that don't make sense suddenly start to happen consistently. I don't really know how to describe it. I think there's more good teams in college basketball this year than there were last year. I don't know if there's more great teams, which I think makes it even more chaotic. (laughs) There certainly is one team I think is great that we're going to talk about at some point on the show, I'm sure. That's the Boilermakers. I think they are clearly ahead of everybody else right now. But you just look around. There's a lot of strange results every single night, which makes for a very entertaining time in this sport that we uh, think we know and love so much. And I think you bring up such a good point, and it's something that I've been talking about a lot on the podcast. I do think that there's like a clear top 10, maybe even top 15, because you look at those ranked teams facing off against teams that are like 25 or so point underdogs, and they have been cashing, and they have been cashing very consistently all season long. 
but the underdogs that do go down, it's sort of like insert your very good mid-major, like UC Irvine is a good example, knocking off USC, a team that is on the fringes of the top 25. I feel like when you get outside the top 10 to top 15, really from like maybe 12 to about 75 or so, it's very, very equal. Meanwhile, that top 10 to top 12, it just feels like they're a little bit head and shoulders above everyone else. I think that's right. I feel like to me, there's about a top 12, maybe a top 15. And then I think it's just a wild open group of about 30 teams. I don't think there's much of a difference between like 16 and 45 in this sport this year, which again, says something about parody. It says something about the era we're in. There's so many old guys on these teams, so many new faces that are learning how to integrate themselves into a new system. It's an entertaining time in college basketball, certainly. It's going to be interesting when we get to March because I was pretty vocal. I don't know how you felt about it last year, Greg, but I didn't love the fact that we got to the end of the tournament last year and it seemed like we picked out the Final Four from like a randomizer online. No disrespect to any of those teams. I think Florida Atlantic looks great. I still believe in Miami. We saw them struggle with Kentucky last night. But it's one of those things where I want to see teams I truly believe are worthy or truly believe can beat anybody any given night at the end. And I don't know if that makes me stuck up or what, but... I think this year we're in line for another chaotic march like we were last year, except there might even be more teams that could Miami their way to a Final Four this year. Yep, I do think that we could see a whole bunch of chaos this season. and I do feel like that is so true because you've got sort of like that top 12, top 15, and then after that it's just a big giant hodgepodge, to say the least. As joining me on the show, we do have Greg Waddell. He does absolutely amazing work over at the Field of 68. Joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops, and I know you, much like myself, were born and raised out there in Big Ten country, and I'm so glad that you mentioned it at the top that you do feel like Purdue head and shoulders the top team in the conference, which we were thinking that coming into the year, but I think the gap coming into the year versus where it is now is even greater because I've been a little bit off put by what I've seen out of Michigan State. It looked like Michigan was really going to be a nice contender, and they have fallen off ever since then as well. I don't have a lot of faith in Wisconsin. Can't say that I love what I'm seeing out of Ohio State. I just look at the Big Ten right now, and other than perhaps Illinois, it just feels like Purdue has been really impressive, and everyone else has been very milk toast and lackadaisical. Yeah, let me give you the secret tip here from a Big Ten fan if you're trying to interpret Big Ten basketball this year. If you're looking at who could possibly be a contender that's not Purdue, stop. Don't do it. It's not real. It's just fake. This has happened year after year after year. You can go back the last five or six years. Not to say Purdue's always been at the top of the sport the way they are this year, but there's just a lot of teams that look good relative to the rest of the Big Ten that simply aren't that good. And I think that applied to Luca Garza's Iowa teams. I think that applied to Johnny Davis's Wisconsin teams. This has applied to certain Michigan State teams through the years. It certainly has applied to Brad Underwood's Illinois teams that always look great in the regular season and then struggle in March. Look, this conference is deep. There's always 11 to 12 teams that can beat anybody any given night. That's not going anywhere. But the difference this year is Purdue truly is elite. And I think at times last year they were elite, but it didn't last the entire season. Some guys hit the freshman wall, and there were some serious holes. Even if those guys didn't hit the freshman wall, there were serious problems with last year's roster that Matt Painter went out and fixed and addressed this offseason. And man, do they look good. They would look good even if there were more contenders in the Big Ten, but 
Save yourself the time and energy. They're not. Purdue's going to win this league by three or four games minimum. Yeah, but I do think that Purdue certainly is cutting through this league like a hot knife through butter. They were able to win it last year, and this year I think that they're going to be even more dominant in the league than they were last season. I think that there's no debate about it, but if there is a team that I've been very encouraged by thus far this season, I can't believe I'm saying it, it's Nebraska. And I recognize that Nebraska has not been playing like a whole bunch of top 10 teams or anything like that, but a nice win against Duquesne. They were able to knock off Fullerton by double figures. This is not going to be a team that we see until early December. And that game against Creighton, I think, is going to be a tremendous measuring stick game as to where Nebraska truly is. And you do want to see a little bit more for them before you anoint them as one of the better teams of the Big Ten. But I do think that this is actually an improved Nebraska team that they have finally figured out, at the very least, something under Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, I think you're right. Don't forget, Nebraska beat Creighton last year, so this will be either two in a row or a revenge game of sorts for Creighton. And I know Creighton struggled right now after the loss to Colorado State. Like, we don't know who they are. I do think Nebraska's improved, and I think Hoiberg had a pretty competitive group last year, to be honest with you. I know they finished low in the conference, as they usually do under Hoiberg, but, you know, I went and saw that team in Lincoln once. I saw them a couple times on our road trips last year, and they were always in it. Like there was never a moment where you felt like they couldn't beat even the best teams in the conference last year. I think they did upgrade on the margins this year. I think they have more guys that are deserving of minutes this year than they did last year. And obviously Tominaga's back. He's a special talent. He can score 30 any given night and make it look effortless. So I am pleasantly intrigued by Nebraska. I want to see what happens against Creighton before I officially put my stamp on being a believer. But if they can hang in that game, even if they don't win it, uh, I'll feel like they really have arrived and they are a threat in this conference. Yep, absolutely. And I do think that this is going to be really interesting to gauge moving forward because I like what I've seen out of them. Just like I always love what I'm seeing out of this man, Greg Waddell, over at Sleepers Media, along with the field of 68, joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And in terms of the Big Ten, we've only got one team that's going to be in action on Thursday, and that would be Minnesota. And If they lose at home to New Orleans, boy, that would not be great for both them, and that would not be great for the Big Ten in general. But we are going to have ourselves actually Big Ten conference play starting up on Friday. And how do you take a look at these Big Ten conference games when it comes to those like early December games? Because as we know as betters, typically in the Big Ten, you just fire up all these home teams and you're going to make money at the end of the year. But it does feel like these conference games that they do get played in early December, they just have a little bit of a different vibe and tenor to them. And it's still conference play. There's no question about it. But they just don't feel like they have the same oomph when they're in early December rather than when you see them when the calendar turns to 2024 in this case. Yeah, there's a big element of teams trying to feel themselves out in the Big Ten Conference. And I think this applies to other conferences too. But certainly in the Big Ten, um, I think there's a lot of we don't know who we are yet at this point in the season. Guys are experimenting. Look no further than Michigan State, who is changing up the lineup every single game right now. They don't know who their best five are. And they're a team that returned 85% of their minutes from last year, had one of the best incoming recruiting classes in the country. They still don't know. So if they don't know, I don't think anybody knows (laughs) except for Purdue in this conference. And it makes for clunky basketball sometimes. It makes for very unpredictable results from a betting perspective. But it makes for an entertaining watch, and I do think you can learn things from these games. Even if they are a little wild sometimes, you can start to learn who teams are at the same time their coaches learn who they are that can carry over into January into February. 
Yep, I do think that that is such an important note as well. And I do think that you have to take a look at these games a little bit differently on December 1st rather than if the game was played like February 1st. But I do think that there are some good notes there. And what else I think is interesting is typically this time of year, we get the ACC versus Big Ten Challenge, which very unfortunate that we did not get it this year. We still got the Gavit games, which that's always a lot of fun. But this year instead, it was the AACC versus SEC Challenge. And we've got another challenge that's really going to be getting going on Thursday in the Big East versus Big 12 Challenge. And fully recognize that this isn't quite the Big Ten, but I know you know a lot about the Big East with a lot of those teams being out in your neck of the woods. And what are you sort of expecting from this challenge? Because I do think that in terms of the best two conferences, one through, in the case of the Big East, 11, and now the Big 12's case, 14, which that's always math that doesn't add up. I do think that we might be looking at the best two conferences in college basketball doing battle in this challenge. Yeah, I w- went through and did a little preview with our friend of both of our shows, Tristan Freeman from Boston yeah. Bradley this morning. And we were both remarking after we finished recording that we were surprised how underwhelmed we were by some of the matchups here because on paper, I view both of these two conferences as the best two conferences in the sport right now. So I was kind of expecting to be blown away as you go up and down the list. And instead, maybe this is just me being a Grinch, but I came away feeling like there's four games I'm really excited about and a bunch that I'll keep an eye on, but that's about it. But, you know, that's coming from a Big Ten fan where I do think, like, there is some depth, even if there isn't the high-end middle class. There's 11, 12 teams any given night that can get you. From an excitement standpoint, the number one thing on my list, I can't wait for the UConn-Kansas game. I think UConn is awesome. I think they are every bit as good as they were last year. And I think, quite frankly, they're ready for an opportunity to show that. Like, these guys strike me as the type of guys who are foaming at the mouth to get an opponent that's better than Indiana on a neutral side for someone to pay attention to. And what better way to do that than to go into Kansas against the best transfer from this portal class, against the best coach in the country, and quite frankly, against a team that doesn't look all that good right now. They really just struggled against Eastern Illinois, who is very bad on both sides of the ball. And Eastern Illinois found the formula, right? They put Hunter Dickinson in ball screens over and over and over again and generated open looks. Dared Kansas's peripheral guys to beat you because five through 13 on that roster do not look like a normal Kansas roster right now. So I'm expecting UConn. I'll give my pick away. I think they're going to go on the road and get a win. I think it's a statement game, and I think it's their depth that gets it done as a huge advantage over the Jayhawks bench. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that as well, because I am quite off-put by what I've seen out of Kansas thus far, because Hunter Dickinson has been great. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, he's doing his part. You've got Dewan Harris, who needs to score a little bit more, but he's been able to facilitate, and then got Kevin McCullough all over the floor. But with this Kansas team, I feel like the big question is, what are you going to be able to get out of guys like Marco Jackson? What are you going to be able to get out of Johnny Furphy? Nicholas Timberlake has not made that leap forward. And I think the question marks are surrounding that big three for Kansas. And right now, I'm not seeing it. Meanwhile, with the UConn side of things, we were remarking as to everything that they lost last season. But the pieces that they returned are better, in my opinion, than they were last season. And UConn is one of the teams that overall, just in the landscape of college basketball, even though I was high on them coming into the season, I've had to raise my just expectations and raise my power ranking on them even further with what I've seen. Yeah, they look awesome. Tristan Newton looks especially awesome, right? He took he just looks like he took such a step forward. He showed signs of being a kid that could post a triple-double any given game last year, but he's doing it consistently now this year. I know Donovan Clayton's the big name, but 
Newton to me is kind of the heartbeat of that team. Caravan's awesome. Like they just have guys that are just taking steps forward. Back to Kansas, you know this is one of the best betters in the game, right? From a handicapping perspective. Bankroll management is one of the most critical things you can do. I think Bill Self mismanaged his bankroll this offseason. I think he put 80% of his dollars on Hunter Dickinson and 20% of his dollars on Nick Timberlake. He needed to space it out a little more because Timberlake's not ready. Uh, Hunter's great. Hunter's Hunter. We know who Hunter Dickinson is. He was never the problem at Michigan. The problem was they had a very broken roster around him that was low on shooting, that had a total hole at the four. And it just didn't work. And right now, this Kansas team, I know they shot the ball well the first four games of the season. I think that was an anomaly. I think they're low on shooting. I think they have a hole at the four, even when K.J. Adams is there. I think that's clunky with Hunter. And they certainly have a hole at the shooting guard spot right now. El Marco does not look ready for Big 12 play or for these marquee non-conference games. And Dewan Harris is a great player. Don't get me wrong. This team cannot afford to have him score one point on four shots. It's unfair to McCullough and Dickinson and how good they've been. They need more from him. He's capable of more. I do think this comes down to Bill Self kind of misplaying his hand this offseason. Yep, he spent all of his money trying to get boardwalk. And at the same time, Baltic Avenue was out there. And he could have been able to get a lot of those pieces as well and all the railroads. And instead, he's got boardwalk and nothing else. So I do think that that's so interesting to take a look at. I really do agree with you there as well. It's a very top-heavy team, as Greg Woodell does great work over at Sleepers Media is joining me right here on Cusco Soup saying, Greg, it's not necessarily the most rambunctious slate that we've got for Thursday, but we do have a few interesting games. And just want to give you the floor here if there's a game or two that you're going to be betting and you see a little bit of value on. I'm totally with you. It's a pretty quiet slate. Not the type of thing you're looking forward to in the middle of an exciting week of basketball coming off of Feast Week. There's only one play that I really have my eye on tomorrow. I like Texas Tech against Butler. They're on the road. You know, anytime you go into Hinkle, that's a fun place to play. It's a historic place to play. That crowd will be rocking, I'm sure. But when it comes down to it, I just truly believe that Texas Tech is an incredible defense. I think they are a gauntlet to play for 40 minutes. And as good as Butler's four-headed monster backcourt has been with this new-look roster under Thad Mata, I don't think they're ready for the challenge that McCaslin's defense poses. I see some similarities, honestly, to what my Michigan team just went through with Texas Tech a week ago where, you know, I'm looking at Texas Tech's roster on paper. I'm not that impressed with what they've done this season. I'm looking at what Doug McDaniel's done to start the year. He's been such a superstar. He's been so good. He's not going to struggle with this defense. And then you get four minutes into the game and you're like, wait a second. Doug's never seen anything like this. I think there's going to be some moments in this game for Pierre Brooks, who, again, has been great. But is he ready to score 16 points a game and be the offensive engine against an elite defense? I don't know that he is. So I'm going to trust the system here. I'm going to trust McCaslin on the road as a one-point favorite against Butler, which does scare me a little bit with that line. I thought they'd be one-point underdogs, but I'll take the Red Raiders. Yep, it is going to be a fun game to be able to take a look at, and that'll kick off the Big East versus Big 12 challenge. And a man that owes always ready for prime time a man that is a go-to scorer that is you greg you do absolutely amazing work over at the field of 68 
doing great work now at Action Network as well and so much more. So love to get people at home, know it's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. I appreciate that, Greg. It's always fun being with you, my friend. I'm all over the place these days. Quite frankly, you can catch me on the field of 68 after dark. You can catch me on the Action Network where I'm writing game previews about 10 times a week right now, hoping to keep doing even more exciting stuff with them, maybe some video stuff in the second half of the season. The main home for us, as always, at Sleepers Media. Carter and I are doing game recaps and previews of the biggest games of the night in college basketball every single night this season, and it's always a pleasure to be here, Greg. It is always great to have Greg aboard. He does an amazing job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends impeccable insights and delivered the goods once again today. A big thanks to Greg for joining me on Cusco Seeps, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade 
with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. And we're back here at Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by Greg Waddell. The man is a whisperer when it comes to gauging the Big Ten. He does absolutely amazing work over at the Field of 68. Every single time he joins this podcast, lends tremendous insights, and I know that he's now been doing a lot more on the betting side over at Action Network. And on top of that, he, along with Carter Elliott over there at Sleepers Media, put out great content. I know that they traveled to every single Big Ten venue last season, so it is always very much appreciated. A big thanks to Greg for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we had some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do you note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNN underscore D1, and we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits, those are going to be at the bottom, and the games with six digits, those involve smaller conferences like 
the MEAC, the SWAC, the Atlantic Sun, the Southland is going to be prevalent today. The America East, I think we've got all the ones for today, and the Independent in Chicago State as well. So let's get things started with 737, 738 on the betting board. It is Liberty, and they are going to be on the road facing off against Florida Atlantic. Liberty Biberty is a 7 to 7.5 point underdog with your total between 146.5 and 147.5. I thought setting my line at 6.5 was aggressive on Florida Atlantic. I really like the fact that they've got their core coming back, and I do think that the loss that they took against Bryant, that was a little bit of a blip on the radar. They just had a nice cold shooting night, and they were able to redeem themselves at the ESPN event this past week, but having to lay north of seven points against a very good Liberty squad is just too rich for my blood. Now, Liberty, they do lose their top scorer, Darius McGee, from a season ago, but this team, they just play that consistent style. Liberty, every single year, going to be towards the bottom of all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. They're clocking in 328th as far as the season, going up against the Florida Atlantic team that they are probably looking to play a little bit more up-tempo this year, but this is not some sort of a play they're 214th in terms of total possessions per game, so both of these teams very much relying upon offensive execution for Liberty, a nice backline defense to go along with it, and I do think that they've got a hard guy to guard in Kyle Rohde. This guy is a little bit of a point forward that gives you a trio of assists, 16 points, four and a half boards at six foot seven. He's currently shooting 48.5% from three. We should be seeing a little bit of a nosedive there. As overall, Liberty is shooting 42.5% from three. I think that this could be a team that shoots like 38, maybe even 39% from three. North of 40% is very lofty, and we should see this come down a little bit, but I do think that they'll be able to hang in there on the glass with Zach Cleveland being able to now give you six half rebounds per game. They're going to have a little bit of a tough time with Vladislav. Golden, the seven foot one big band of Florida Atlantic that's been logging. 14.5 points, 6.5 boards, but the support around him is a little bit down right now because they have to deal with a bit of an injury to John Carlo Rosado. He was just able to come back in that game against Virginia Tech, so he should be good to go in this one, but he's been a little bit in and out of the fold. They've been dealing with having an injury to Nicholas Boyd, did not play in that ESPN event. Now in the backcourt, you still have John L. Davis, Elijah Martin, these two guys have been able to combine for about 26 points per game in Florida Atlantic. They're 38.2% three-point shooting. I think that it's semi-sustainable, but I think that they'll probably be when it's all Sudden down more like a 36-37% three-point shooting team. And both of these teams are really able to get after it on the defensive end. For Florida Atlantic, they're coming off of giving up 50 points to Virginia Tech. Fully recognize that it's a bare brain games against Texas A&M and Butler. But this is a team that's really able to guard you. And for this Liberty team, the only team that they have really given up north of 68 points to is Furman. And Furman is one of the most up-tempo teams. And a team that plays all offense and no defense. So that was a little bit of an outlier as well. So I don't get the super high total here. I said my total at 138.5. I'm diving in on the under. And with Liberty being able to get seven or more, taking those points. 739, 740 on the betting board. Texas Tech, they're on the road. They're facing off against Butler. Butler is a favorite of one point, and your total is between 139 and 140. And so Butler is a three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. I think as of right now, these two teams are relative equals, and having to go into Hinkle Fieldhouse, that's going to be tough for a Texas Tech team that I think is going to be able to do a solid job down low. you got Warren Washington. Comes in from Arizona State. Doing a good job along to Arianne Williams of logging eight rebounds apiece. Williams has a little bit more versatility as 
He's more of a six foot six, six foot seven shifty guy that's able to give you about ten points per game. But for Texas Tech, I do think that there should be some positivity with their twenty seven half percent three point shooting. But this isn't a supreme shooting team. You've got a pair of guys in Joe Tucson, Lonth Pop Isaacs. These two guys have been able to combine for about twenty eight points per game. Get about six assists out of these two guys, but they have had a little bit of a tough time taking care of the ball with 13 turnovers per game. It is a Texas Tech team that under Grant McCaslin, they've slowed down, and Butler, they've actually sped up this season because they just had some misfit pieces a season ago under Thad Mata. Bringing in Posh Alexander has brought some stability to the backcourt. Got a Butler team that's only turning the ball for about 10 and a half times for contest. Now for this Butler bunch, you do have Pierre Brooks, who's been able to give you 17 points per game, shooting about 40% from three-point range, and you've gotten a lot of the Northeastern transfer in Jamal Telford. He was at Northeastern last year, really their do-it-all guy with about 16.5 points per game. Now he's able to play a little bit more off the ball. Just feels like he's a little bit more free-flowing in the offense. And at 6'7", he has been able to pull in there about five rebounds per game as well. It's going to be up to Andre Screen along with Jalen Thomas to be able to log things down low as they've been able to give you about a combined 11.5 rebounds per game. And I do think that they're going to do a solid job against the Texas Tech team. They've got good versatility. They do a nice job of being able to slow games down. Really, other than that game against Villanova, they've given up 70 or fewer in every one of these games. And for Butler, they've been all over the place with regards to their offense. You take a look at their last four games, they've scored 54, 86, 88, and 70 points. So I do think that Butler is a little bit of a chameleon. You want to play fast, they'll play fast. You want to play slow, they'll play slow. And I do think that this game does get slowed down. So I saw my total at 137, diving in on the under. But I think that Posh Alexander is the best guard in this game. Going to be able to help Butler keep things clean and help them win the turnover battle, which will allow them to win the game. I did set Butler as a three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number and take a look at the under. Some 41, some 42 on the betting board. It is Hofstra and they play us to South Florida. South Florida is an underdog of four and a half points and your total is between 145 and a half and 146. Did set my total at a 145. So now that we're reaching a 146, I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under with Hofstra. This has been a pretty impressive team over the last few seasons. So they do lose Aaron Action Estrado last season. He was Mr. Do-It-All for this team. He was logging just under 20 points, five boards, five assists, but they have had guys be able to pick it up. Tyler Thomas, who was a good number two scorer a season ago, he has become that primary guy with 25 points per contest, shooting 43.5% from three-point range for an officer team that they just do the little things well. They're shooting 80% of the free throw line. You would like to see the 11 half turnovers per game come downward just a little bit, but they played a relatively tough non-conference slate. They had a tough game against Princeton to begin the season as well. And this is a Hofstra team that last year they proved as the season went along with regards to their defense. They're currently 186th in the country turns points a lot on a per possession basis. Pretty much on par with where they were after the first month of the season ago. They ended the season in the top 60. So I do think that they're finding their footing in for South Florida. I do think that the shooting should improve for this bunch. They're currently shooting 22% from three. Mr. Abdul Rahim was a coach at Kennesaw State a season ago and he brings with him a lot of Atlantic Sun flair. Jose Placer, he was the main point guard over at North Florida. He's only been able to chip in their nine points per game. His main score from Kennesaw State a season ago, Chris Youngblood. He's picking up right where he left off, 16 points per game, but his three-point shooting percentage is down right around about 23.5% from distance, and I was expecting a little bit more out of Brandon Stroud as well. He's been in and out of the fold for the team, only averaging 3.5 points per game over at Kennesaw State a season ago. He was a very good, versatile piece for the team, but with that said, for the South Florida team, you really don't have a lot of rebounding. You've got one guy giving you earth of five rebounds per game, and Kaysan Pryor 
Pryor's a guy that just couldn't get out there on the floor at Boise State. And for Hofstra, typically the Achilles heel of this team is down low. That not being exposed, it should allow this offense, led by John Carlo Carlos, who's been able to do a very solid job, giving out six assists to about two and a half turnovers per game, shooting 38% from three to be able to get guys in state base, to be able to have Hofstra, be able to fire on all cylinders, and have Darlson Dunbar, who's been a very solid number two scorer, 18 points per game, shooting about 36% from three, to be able to operate as well. A couple of that with Yako Fritz, a big versatile guy, being able to help out down low. I think that Hofstra gets the job done, set my total at a 145. Hofstra is an efficient offense, but not really an up-tempo offense, so diving in on the under, and with Hofstra willing to lay up to four and a half with them. 743, 744 on the betting board. It is South Alabama. They are on the road facing off against Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State is a favorite of anywhere between one and a half and two points and your total is anywhere between 129 and a half and 130 and a half and with regards to South Alabama I did set them as an underdog of three points so I'm going to be looking at Jacksonville State for South Alabama they've been trying to bring in these non-D1 guys and they did a nice job of being able to strike some gold last season just doesn't feel like they brought in that same level of transfer thus far this season and they get to go up against a Jacksonville State team that has been turning the ball over a little bit too much Jacksonville State does need to shape up in terms of the red round about 13 and a half to 14 turnovers per game, but Kai Kai Tandy is a good go-to scorer. 17 points per game comes in from Xavier, where I mean he had some moments of brilliance, but you could tell that they weren't featuring him too much, and I do think that down low, this team has an edge as well. Jawan Purdue, along with Marcellius Bingham, both of these guys have between 5.5 and, and 6 rebounds per game, and Purdue has actually been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. That's been big for a Jacksonville State team that overall is only shooting about 31% from the outside. Meanwhile, for South Alabama, Isaiah Gator, he comes in from the non-division one level. He's logged 16.5 points per game, but where's the help around him? You don't have a single guy that's giving you a north of 5.2 rebounds per game. Thomas Hull, who comes in from Louisiana Monroe, was very good last year. Double-figure score, was able to pop it from three-point range a little bit, was a solid rebounder. He's giving you six points, five boards, and has yet to sink a three this year. Got South Alabama team that does a relatively solid job of taking care of the ball with about 11.5 turnovers per game, but he lost so many good pieces from the season ago. Four of their top five scores are out of the fold. Their lone guy that is returning is Judah Brown, and Judah Brown has missed four games as far this season, and he's likely going to be out of the fold once again. So South Alabama really up against it. South Alabama one of the more slow and controlled teams in all of college basketball. Jacksonville State, they themselves are a very slow team. Really the only Division One team that they've been able to exceed the 70-point plateau on in regulation because the game that they played against Utah Tech, that is a game that went to overtime, is a rough UTSA team. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a strange situation for both of these teams. So I do think that this total is a little bit too low. I do think that with both of these defenses, though, they play slow styles, not necessarily being so sharp to say the least, especially in the case of a team like a South Alabama that they are coming off of giving up 70 plus points in three of their last five games that they are going to be having a little bit of a tough go of it. And I do think that we could get some late game felling here as well. So I did something my total 139. Going to be taking a look at the over. And with Jacksonville State willing to lay up to 2.5 with them. 745, 746 on the betting board. It is East Carolina playing UNC Wilmington. This game is between a pick'em to a Wilmington being a one-point favorite. And your total on this game, it is between 143 and 144. I make East Carolina the 2.5-point favorite. So I'm going to be taking a look at them as a pick'em slash outright on the money line. And the biggest reason why is because with East Carolina... This bunch, I feel like they just weren't able to really fire in all cylinders to begin the season because they were dealing with an injury slash illness of Brandon Johnson. I think it was more of an illness than anything else, but he missed a pair of games, and then there was one game where he was sort of in the full, but you tell that he wasn't necessarily himself. I think that that was the Georgia Southern game where he had a double-double, but he only was able to play about 
25 or so minutes. So I do look at Brandon Johnson being able to elevate after he, a season ago, had 12.5 points, 8 boards, shot in the mid-30s from 3 as a six foot eight combo player, and that's just such a big difference maker because he'll be paired up with Tarzarian White, the top guy for UNC Wilmington, who right around six foot seven himself has a good versatility with 19 points, 5 boards, has been able to shoot in the mid-30s from 3-point range for a Wilmington team that this team traditionally plays very slow, very controlled. They're looking to be more of a defense-oriented team, and let's call it what it is with Wilmington, even though they bring back a lot of pieces from a season ago, this has been one of the more fortunate teams in all of college basketball over the last few seasons, and currently they are clocking in right around 220th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against an East Carolina team that's really sold things out, 272nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You've got a Wilmington bunch at they're back below the top 250 as well. For Wilmington, they're just shooting an unreal 43.5% from three-point range, and this is not going to continue. KJ Jenkins shot north of 40% from three at New Mexico, currently shooting 47% from three. I think that that'll taper off a little bit. You've had Malik Harden-Hayes, Alon Donovan Newby be able to combine for about 21 points per game. Between the two of them, they're shooting darn near 46% from three-point range again. Not sustainable. You've got the Youngstown State transfer, Shamir Rathon May, shooting 60% from three. Again, not sustainable, and I do think that we're going to see a little bit of fall off there now the credit of Wilmington. They're only turning the ball over about 10 times per game. They do a good job of doing the little things, hitting free throws, not turning the ball over, but with East Carolina out there in the backcourt, I think that R.J. Felton is just going to be able to take over this game. Seven half boards, 18 points per game. And with Bobby Pettiford coming in from Kansas, a former top 200 recruit who hasn't done a lot on the scoring front, but he's given the same facilitation, assist to turnover ratio of three. That allow him to operate very freely. So this is a spot where I did set East Carolina as a two and a half point home favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a pickup slash right on the money line. And with regards to the total, I did set it at a 138 and a half. Wilmington is doing for some regression with their three-point shooting, and both of these teams are playing at quite a slow tempo. So looking at the under and East Carolina, 747, 748 on the betting board. Sam Ianford plays us to Louisiana. Louisiana is an underdog of 4 to 4.5 points, and your total is between 153 and 154.5. And with Louisiana, I did set them as one half play favorite. I'm taking them out right on the money line with Sanford. This team does a solid job of being able to generate some turnovers, but I still do have my question marks with this team, especially with them really not having a lot in the post. Anchor Anchor, which is an actual name. He's a six foot nine gentleman that comes in from Australia, and he's been able to take some nice strides forward. 13 half points, six half boards, not going to light it up from three-point range or anything like that, but I do like what he's been able to bring to the table, but past that, you need to get a little bit more out of Ryland Jones, who's a very well-traveled man. I still remember when he was a freshman at Utah, he was lighting up with like nine half points, four and a half assists, shooting in the high 30s from three-point range, and with every passing year in college basketball, it feels like he's gotten worse. I have no idea how. I have no idea why, but that has been something that I've been noticing now with the same Iamford team. They've been able to generate about 10.5 seals per game, and a lot of it has been thanks to Jermaine Marshall. Marshall has good versatility for the team. He's able to give you 12 points, four boards per contest, but we're noticing that he's currently dealing with a little bit of an injury. He was limited in that game against Alabama State. He has missed each other the last two, and there's a good likelihood that he is going to be out of the fold in this game as well, and if he does go, he's most likely not going to be 100%. That means that Kobe Julian is going to really be able to have his way with this game. He's been able to log 18 half points per game, shooting 43% from three as a six foot six do it all sort of player. He gives you a block. He gives you two steals per game. You need him to sell hot dogs with hot dogs, and he'll do that as well. The big key for this Louisiana team is take care of the ball, and they've done a much better job this year. Thamus Folks, one of the more underrated point guards in all of college basketball last year. He had north of five assists per game. This year he's on to 4.8 assists per game, but only 2.2 turnovers per game. He's been operating very freely. Now, the one thing I will say about Louisiana, each out of your 
your top four scorers are shooting north of 43% from three as, as a team. They're shooting 41% from the outside. That'll be taking a little bit of a nose dive. One guy that I think can keep it going is Kentrell Garnett. He has actually shot north of 41% from three-point range each out of the last two seasons, but I do think that for Louisiana, they are going to be able to do a solid job, especially with Marshall being banged up of holding their own down low. You've got a nine and a half rebound per game guy and Joe Charles that I think is going to be able to take it to a Sanford team that has been just a little bit out of sorts in general. So this is a spot where I'm going to be one to ride with Louisiana outright on the money line. These are two teams that look to push the tempo. Louisiana, they're a little bit of a faster team. They're not necessarily playing at breakneck pace, but their defense has been shoddy. Their offense has been pretty tremendous. And we've got a Sanford team that has been able to put up at least 79 points at each out of their last five games, and they themselves have given up at least 70 in three of their last four, including two Merrimack, who's traditionally a slow team. So, somebody total 159.5, looking at the over, and looking at Louisiana right on the money line. 749, 750 on the betting board. It is UT Martin on the road facing off against Rice. We give our own to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls as they are between five and five and a half point favorites, and your total is 164. I actually think that this is just a scourge too low on the total. I set it at a 166. I'm looking at the over. I think that this is going to be close enough for late game following for one and for two. You've got yourself a Rice team that they are playing up tempo, but not quite as much as UT Martin. UT Martin in the top 10 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. This Rice team in year in and year out is in the bottom 100 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And the Rice defense should just be nicknamed Hickory because they have gotten smoked in every single one of their games against a D1 foe. They have given up at least 80 thus far this season. Meanwhile, you got a UT Martin team that is just absolutely sizzling on offense right now. They have scored at least 80 points in all but two of their games thus far this season. And those two exceptions were against a Prairie View team that does a good job of forcing turnovers. And Mississippi State, and nothing needs to be said more than they scored less than 80 points against Mississippi State. You've got Jordan Sears in the backcourt for this UT Martin team. He's been able to log 22.5 points per game, and he's shooting a blistering 53.5% from three. That should be coming down a little bit, but the team has done a better job of hitting the glass than I was expecting. The duo of Jordan Cruz along with Issa Mohammed, they've been able to combine for about 17.5 rebounds per game. With Cruz, he's been able to shoot about 42.5% from the outside. You've got KK Curry, he's got some versatility at about 6'7", 9 points, 5 boards. So I do like what these guys have been able to bring to the table. And then for his Rice team, you've got ultimate versatility with Max Fiedler. The guy stands right around 6'10", 6'11". He does it all. 11 points, 8.5 boards, 4.5 assists. So he is going to be able to help out the likes of Travis Evie, Makai Mason in the backcourt. These two guys have been able to combine for about 27 points per game. Evie's only shooting 29% from three. And that should be jumping up a little bit throughout his career. He's been more around a 36 to 37% three-point shooter. They bring in from Gardner Webb, someone I like in Anthony Selden. He is easy to go. Shot only about 30% from three, but impacts the game in a wide variety of ways. He'll give you like a block, 11.5 points at six foot six. He's a nice do-it-all sort of player for a Rice team that they do a really good job will be able to get to the rim as well and Sam Aljiki coming in from Cal he's got good versatility at right around six foot seven he's let it fly at about a 35 or so percent clip from three for UT Martin even though you've had Cruz and company do a solid job down low I just don't think that they match up with Max Fiedler very well but I think that this is a single digit game that is going to be played very competitively you get some late game felling and I think that you've got both teams approaching 80 in this one. I set my total at 166. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. And when it comes to a race, set them as a six-point favorite. So, one to lay up to five and a half with them. 751, 752 on the betting board. It is Illinois State. They play on the road against UIC. UIC is a favorite of six and a half to seven and a half points. And your total is between 132 and 133. UIC has covered every one of their games as far as the season. It has been a remarkable 
This is when I'm going to sell high on them. I set them as a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Illinois State. Illinois State has been a little bit of a topsy-turvy team the last few seasons as they've been without a little bit of an identity and more importantly, the reason why they've been without an identity is that the point guard spot has been quite vacant for the team the last few seasons, but I think that Dalton Banks coming in helps out with that a little bit. He's been able to give the team three assists, ten and a half points per contest, and has been very effective for the team. Now, you do want to note that in the last game against Wright State, he was limited to 17 minutes, so I am thinking that he plays in this game, but I think that he's going to be a little bit hampered, so I sort of set his effectiveness more around to 50% in this game. And if he is unable to go, you're probably going to be looking at a little bit more Darius Burford. Burford last season led the team with about two and a half assists per game. And did this all job of operating towards back half of the season. He got more and more comfortable as the season went along, 13 points per game. He, Malachi, Poindexter combined for about 20 points per game. And this is a team that does a very good job rebounding by committee. You don't have that one guy that's necessarily demonstrative with regards to his rebounding, but got Kendall Lewis, Brandon Lieb, along with Miles Foster, all give you between five five and a half at six rebounds per game. And Lieb is a seven-footer that comes in from Illinois. I think that UIC is going to have some trouble with that, though. UIC, they've got some good versatility. Toby Yukani, he's six foot eight. He's been able to let it fly at about a 39% clip from three-point range with 13 and a half points per game. So, love what he's been able to bring to the table. And then Isaiah Rivera, who comes in from Colorado State. How about him shooting 53% from three and 16 points per game? Certainly, don't think he's going to shoot 52% from three-point range. But, I mean, the last few seasons at Colorado State shot north of 40% from three. Last year, I did it on a little bit more volume at about eight and a half points per game. With the UIC, though, your big bugaboo with this team, the 13 and a half turnovers per game. That's an issue that's right on par with Illinois State, who's been a little bit rudderless at the point guard spot. And for Illinois State, with them being able to do a solid job on the glass, with UIC being a little bit suspect in terms of the way that they have true rebounders. And for this Illinois State team, a team that in general is looking to slow things down I mean, holding Wright State to high point and high point to 74 points, it might not sound very good, but those are super up-tempo teams. And that's actually not too bad in general. I do think that that'll help them hang lively in this game. I did set my total at a 137F. I do think that this is a game that comes down to late game felling. And I do think that Illinois State is going to do a little bit of a better job of taking care of the ball against a UIC team. That's not generating a lot of steals and got a UIC team that they themselves have scored 70 plus in four of their last five games. So take a look at the over and with UIC, going to make them a five and a half point favorite. So taking the points with Illinois State, 753, 754 on the betting board. So I think Missouri State is on the road facing off against UMKC. UMKC, an eight and a half to a nine point favorite, and your total is 142 and a half. I said this line with UMKC being a six point favorite. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just not a fan of Marvin Menzies after what he did at UNLV, but I am not in on this team whatsoever. I'm going to be willing to take the points. The Southeast Missouri State team is not the same after last year they had Philip Russell being the main scorer for the team. He's now out of the full, but. I like what the versatile six foot nine big man from Wisconsin, Adam Larson, is able to do. Currently shooting 58.5% from three. We'll certainly see a fall off there, but it's been able to give you about 11 points per game. Now, he was dealing with a little bit of an ailment against like Central Arkansas, what have you, but he returned in the team's last game against Chattanooga. He put in there 13 points. As a matter of fact, he's returned for the last two games, combining for 35 points, so looks like he's all good to go. Now, the team is dealing with a little bit of an injury down low to Kobe Clark. He had the back half of the season last year, cut short by injury. He's going through it once again this season, and you really need to get Aquan Smart going. Aquan Smart, I think that he began his career at Maryland, then went to FIU, and he just has never really found his footing at the Division I level after being a top 200 recruit, but has some upside at six foot seven. Needs to be a little bit more effective in the way that he has a shot selection set up because he's been an under career 30% three points here. But it's not like UMKC is 
necessarily a team that's very wily themselves. They shoot 62% of the free throw line, and they're having everything run through Anderson Kopp right now. Anderson Kopp is a solid player. He's able to give you about 40% three-point shooting when he's playing off the ball right now that he's playing on the ball. He's only been able to shoot 28% from three this far this season. He's had to be the main facilitator with about three and a half assists per game, and someone needs to tell me why in the heck Allen, David, and Becca Jr. is currently in witness protection because he last year logged seven and a half rebounds per game he was tremendous down low. They have only been playing him for in the neighborhood about 16 minutes per game thus far this season. He is by far their best rebounder, and they're not utilizing him whatsoever. They've got Jamar Brown. He comes in from the junior college ranks, and he's been solid. He's been able to give you about 37.5% from three, but the CMKC team with Anderson Kopp running the show, it's sloppy. 13.5 turnovers per game. They're not necessarily an up-tempo team. They rely upon making games just yucky and gross, and right now, well, outside the top 200, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. There's really not a lot to like with this team. Now, well, you recognize that for Southeast Missouri State, things have been a little bit less than savory for this offense as well. 58 points or fewer in three out of their last five games, but... I do think that in what is going to be probably a little bit of a rock fight, you've got UMKC who has scored 64 or less in four out of their last five games. That Southeast Missouri State is going to be able to hold lively in this game. Did set my total at 142. Here at 142 and a half, going to be willing to dive in on the under. I do think that both of these offenses are going to be able to bounce back against a pair of defenses that are not so great to say the least. But you know, 142 and a half diving in on the under end. With UMKC made them a six-point favorite, so taking the points with Southeast Missouri State. 755-756 on the bang board. It is Texas State on the road facing off against Texas. Texas is back to being a favorite of between 18 and a half to 19 points. And your total on this game is anywhere between 138 and 139 and a half. And I saw Texas as a 21 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. With this Texas State team, typically they're a good, sound defensive team that really is not going to be able to do a whole heck of a lot on offense, but you know what? On the defensive side of things, you know what you're getting out of them, and this year that's just not the case. With Texas State, you've got Brandon Love down low who's been able to do a very solid job. He's been able to give you about 11.7 at boards, but they were fully expecting Tyrell Morgan to be that guy down low after a season ago. He was a starter that gave you about six rebounds per game. Well, he has been out of the fold since really the beginning part of the season. He's only played in two games, so that has been a hamperance to a Texas A team that's currently shooting 25.7% from three-point range. I think that that's going to improve, but you can tell that they're missing their do-it-all player, Mason Harrell. Mason Harrell led the team in points and assists a season ago. Everything ran through him. He was the only guy on the roster that gave you north of 10 points per game, and without him, this just feels like a very rudderless bunch that is just stuck in the mud with regards to their offense. This is a bunch that scored 67 points or fewer in three of their last five games, and the only reason why they've been able to break that plateau a few times is because they played the lesser teams in the great state of Texas. Meanwhile, for Texas, you do have Caden Shedrick essentially playing with one arm, and he is still taking teams apart with one arm. 15 points, a block and a half, a steal and a half, shooting north of 40% from three-point range in Texas as a whole with their revamped backcourt, shooting 38% from three-point range. Max Aismith has been the main score of 15 points, three and a half assists per game, but Ithiel Horton and Tyrese Hunter have been playing in tandem with them. Hunter, a little bit more of the facilitator with four assists per game. Horton is your designated three-point shooter, canning north of 50% of his threes. Got Dylan Mitchell and his versatility at six foot eight. He's able to give you eight half boards, a block, a seal per game. I like what these guys are all able to bring to the table. And then if you need to bring in there some like a Chandel Weaver for a few minutes, you're able to as well. Texas State just does not have a lot in the backcourt. 
It's a Texas State team that traditionally plays outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, and yet they're still turning the ball over 14 times for contests. You've gotten four assists per game out of Kanan Gums, but he hasn't been able to really put the ball in the basket himself from three-point range, shooting 15% from three-point range. That has been really rough for the team, and for Texas State, you were expecting the Army transfer to be able to really take over as well as they were bringing into the fold Colton Benson, and he has yet to be able to take the floor thus far this season, and he has been missed very badly. So this is a spot where I did set my line at 21.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Texas. We've got a Texas A team that they just are struggling to score. They play at a slow tempo. Texas, after they were playing a bit faster last season, they're more of a mid-tempo team thus far this season. So I did set my total 137.5 here at 130+, plus, diving in on the under end. Going to be looking to lay it with Texas. 57, 758 on the banking board. It is Oklahoma State playing against Creighton. Creighton is a favorite of 6.5 to 7 points, and your total is between 139.5 and 140. I did set my total at 146. Looking at the over, this is a Creighton bunch that they are outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game. They're just so stinking efficient. Now, they had a big, giant clunker against Colorado State to wrap up their event last week, but all in all, this has been a team that passed that one hiccup, they've been able to get to 80-plus on the regular end with this Creighton team. They've got much more depth than they had a season ago as well. It did off put me a little bit that against Colorado State, they did shorten up the rotation because I think that this team is better. One, Fran Farabell is getting 15-plus minutes. When Frederick King is able to spell Ryan Kochbrenner for minutes because you've got some very tremendous players in that top five. You've got Baylor Shireman, who just does it all. Four assists, seven boards, 18 points. She's 40% from three. Ryan Kalkbrenner at seven feet tall is able to pop three. He'll give you a block. He'll give you eight-plus rebounds, 15-plus points per game. Steve Ashworth has done a nice job of being able to throw out the ball. Trey Alexander is a designated scorer as well that's able to give you 18 points per game when he wants to as well. He's able to give you five-plus rebounds per game. But being able to have those guys like a Mason Miller to give teams other looks as well, I think is so important. And I think that they're going to get back to that against an Oklahoma State team that they're just all over the place with regards to their offense. Mike Boynton has been, in my opinion, just not ascending as a coach. You've had Javon Small come up big with Javon Small. 14 points, 5.5 boards, 5.5 assists. Do like what he's able to do for the team, but we've got an Oklahoma State team at shooting 61% at the free throw line. It has been a little bit of a slog for the team down low as well because Musa Cisse was that main man, and now you're looking at Mike Marsh to be able to take over down low. He's a solid player coming in from Jacksonville. He's been able to give you about 7 rebounds per game, but it's not quite the same. That has caused for a little bit of a fall-off in terms of this Oklahoma State defense. I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a rough time from the perimeter. Now, if you look at the raw numbers for Oklahoma State, they have not allowed north of 70 points in a single game this year. Look at the competition, though. Notre Dame, New Orleans, Houston Christian, Sam Houston. They have played against a bunch of bums thus far this season. And I do think that for Oklahoma State, this big step up in competition it is really going to be earth-shattering for them. I do think that Creighton is going to be coming at Oklahoma State in droves. Love that starting five. But on top of that, being able to have that starting five spelled for some minutes, like I do think that they are going to be, is going to allow this Creighton team to be able to win by margin. I set Creighton as a 10 point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number and with this total, set mine at a 146. I do think the Crane gets back to that same offensive efficiency that we saw prior to that Colorado State game. So taking a look at the over and Crane laying the points. 759, 760 is the DK Network. Right a pick. You've got Hawaii on the road facing up against Utah. Utah is a favorite of 11 to 11.5 points and your total is between 146 and 146.5. My write-up is going to be on the under. 
Now, when it comes to three-point shooting defense, you don't want to make too much out of this year's numbers just because, well, you've got a very small sample size. Outliers do happen, but for the Rainbow Warriors, their three-point shooting defense is one of the better ones at all of college basketball because of what they also did last year. Currently, Hawaii is allowing opponents to shoot 27.5% from distance thus far this season. Last year, they were 11th in the country in three-point shooting defense. That shows me that this is sustainable. You've got a Hawaii team that they really bear down on defense. Last year, they were in the top 20 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis or picking up where they left off this year at 16th. Now, for Utah, they are currently just outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they, a season ago, were a team that was in the top 30 with this regard as well, and I do think that they're going to do a solid job against an Hawaii team that last year was outside the top 220 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Hawaii's been a little bit better with their offense thus far, but I do think that this is a little bit of a product of the competition that they're playing when you're playing against teams like San Diego, UT Rio Grande Valley was in that multi-team event that they were in a few days ago. That does allow the offense to be quite a bit better in general, and I do think that for Utah, they are going to be able to win this battle down low with Braden Carlson being able to give you 17 points, six half boards for Carlson. He shoots 36% from three as a true seven-footer, but I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a drop-off with the three-point shooting percentage because of, for one, that Hawaii defense. And, two, you take a look at Utah last season. They were more of around a 33.5% three-point shooting team with pretty much all the same pieces from last year returning. They did bring in Cole Bajima, who was solid over at Washington last year. Shot 36% from three, nine points per game. But he's not going to be a guy that takes Utah from being like a 30% three-point shooting team to being north of like 38%. You've got Kiba Kita, who's back in the fold for the team as well. That does give Utah a little bit more defense at six foot eight. Not necessarily a great offensive player with about six points per game, but gives you seven boards. It gives you a little bit of a block per contest as well. And then for White, they're pretty solid in the post as well. I think that they're going to struggle with the versatility of Carlson, but you bring in Jordan McCoy. Began his career over at North Carolina and Virginia. Top 200 recruit, 12.5 points, 8.5 boards. Currently shooting 53% for three. Again, we should see a fall off there, but the guy that really doesn't put up numbers that plays a big role in this defense, more sec. He's seven foot one from the Senegal. Whenever he gets minutes, this guy impacts the game. He's able to give you a few blocks per contest. Just a really good rim protector in general that makes big plays. So I like what he's able to bring to the table. Bernardo da Silva is able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. Main score for this Hawaii team is Noel Coleman, who's able to give you a 38.5% three-point shooting team. And this is a Hawaii team that sometimes gets a little bit out of sorts with regards to turnovers. That's why they were inefficient with their offense last season, about 13 and a half turnovers per game this far this season. And if you look at the core of these two teams, both of them played quite slowly last year. Hawaii was outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game. Utah was about 248th. Both of these teams have been playing a little bit faster thus far this season, but I think that that's been a little bit of a product of the teams that they have played against. So I do think that things are going to be a little bit more slow and controlled than they have been towards the beginning part of the season for both of these teams. And I do think that for Hawaii, they do a good job of guarding the arc to hold in this game against Utah. My DK network right to pick is on the under. Set my total at 136. And with Utah, I can only make them an eight-point favorite. So take the points with the Rainbow Warriors and my right up pick is going to be on this total under 761, 762 on the betting board. It is UC Davis on the red face off against Oregon State. Oregon State is a two and a half to a three point favorite, and your total is between 134 and 135. This Oregon State team is really not good to say the least. 
I can't get behind taking UC Davis on this side of the line, though. It is still a very difficult place to play in Corvallis. I did set Oregon State as a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to be wanting to lay it in. I do think that Jordan Pope and Elijah Pepper are going to be able to go mano a mano. Pepper is the best scorer in this game, shooting 44% from three, 96% the free line, 23 points, five boards per contest for UC Davis. And while Pope doesn't have quite as many points, he's been an impactful guy. For Oregon State, really their lone bright spot at this point. 18 points, 3 boards, 3 assists. He shoots 38% from 3-point range. The big question is, can Oregon State win the battle down low? And I think the answer is yes. Tyler Blodeau is going to get killed when it comes to Pac-12 play at 6'9", but here in this matchup, he's fine. 13 points, 7.5 boards per contest. When you're going up against Aidan Bale, who's giving you about 5.5 rebounds per game for UC Davis, that's a battle that even he should be able to win. And that's that you really don't have a lot of rebounding for this UC uh, Davis team. You've got Nico Dokach. I believe that that is the brother of Tony Dokach. Comes in from old Switzerland. He's been able to give you about 4.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. He's been an okay contributor. And for UC Davis, they do shoot 35.5% from three. Here's the problem, though. They're actually playing at a much slower tempo this year than they did a season ago, and they're turning the ball over north of 16 times per contest. That is dead possession atop of dead possession for a UC Davis team that's right around 289th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Not like Oregon State is necessarily a rocket ship. They are 80th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Much of that is because they did play that harebrained double overtime game against Troy, and they played an overtime game against Appalachian State. You take out the fact that they played an extra 15 minutes, and they're a relatively mid-tempo team, and for this Oregon State team, they're going to need to get a little bit more out of the backcourt. You brought in Christian Wright from Georgia, and he just has been dealing with injuries and has not gotten right in general with only about six points per contest, but I think the versatility of Dexter Arcano, who's right around six foot five, last season gave the team right around eight points, a few rebounds, about two assists per contest. If he's able to emerge a little bit, that's going to be big, and I do think that for Oregon State, they're going to be able to do an okay job down low, enough to be able to get it done at home in Corvallis. So I did set my line at a five and a half. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Oregon State. and did set my total at a one thirty. Nine and a half. You've got a UC Davis team that last year played much more up-tempo. I think that they're going to look to play a little bit faster this season. You do have an Oregon State team that's been getting destroyed on defense, giving up north of 70 points in every one of their games against a D1 foe. So, looking at the over, and I'm going to be one to lay with Oregon State. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas winning board before we eat the extra game, 763, 764. UCLA plays us at UC Riverside. Riverside is a 19 to a 19 and a half point underdog with your total between 129 and 130 and a half. So, UCLA is a 21 point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay I'm just not in on this Riverside team. They lose five out of their top six scores from a season ago. They've been able to get some relatively good production in the backcourt. Four and a half assists, 12 and a half points per game out of Barrington. Hargis, who has come in as a true freshman, has really made a nice impact for the team. Shooting north of 40% from three. And to the credit of Riverside, they're turning the ball over only about nine to nine and a half times per game. Mike Magpeo is a very good coach. He preaches the little things. This team has no size whatsoever. Jalen Martinez with his 4.7 rebounds per game is currently leading the way. You got a UC Riverside team that they have been playing a relatively slow pace against Division One competition thus far this season. I think their only game in which they were able to exceed the 70-point plateau was against UW-Green Bay. Meanwhile, you've got a UCLA team that they certainly have been not great with their offense to say the least. It is very much a work in progress. This is still a really well-coached team under Mick Cronin that they're really doing a nice job of bearing down on defense 
defense. Top 20 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Your main guy thus far this season down low has been Adam Bona. He's been able to give you about six half boards, 15 points. Very good rim protector. And then Sebastian Mack, star freshman. He has really been able to take hold of this offense. Not a great three-point shooter, but gives you 16 points. It gives you multiple steals for contests. You need a little bit more outside shooting. Lazar Safanovic was a good three-point shooter over at Utah. Currently shooting about 35% from three, but you're going to need someone, whether that be Dylan Andrews, whether that be someone maybe like a Jan Vide, who's been dealing with a little bit of injury himself. One of those guys, you need them to be able to come to the forefront, be able to step up for the team. Heck, maybe it's Will McClendon, but the team does need a little bit more in the backcourt. And you can tell that this is a raw team. You've got the seven foot three gentleman in a day, Mara. He is going to be able to do amazing work down low, but you can tell that he's a little bit of a project himself. But for UC Riverside, you know what? You're able to experiment with some things against this team. They've got absolutely no size whatsoever. And even though Mara is a little bit rudderless, doesn't necessarily have the world's greatest fundamentals, you should be able to take them to task. I do think they. UCLA just continues to bear down on defense. I did say UCLA is a favorite of 21 and a half points. I'm willing to lay it in. So that might total 129 and a half. I'm seeing a 130 and a half out there diving in on the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with UCLA. Now we get the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306, 589, 306-590. It is Minnesota, and they're going to be playing us in New Orleans. New Orleans is a 11 and a half to a 12 and a half point underdog, and your total is between 147 and half and 148 and I actually said Minnesota as a 16-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this summer with Minnesota. Certainly, this team is going to need to cut down on the turnovers. That is their main issue as they bring in Elijah Hawkins, who a season ago over at Howard had 13 points, 6 assists, shot north of 46% for three-point range, but also led the country in terms of turnovers per game. That has led to Minnesota thus far this season, having right around 14 and a half turnovers per game, but there's nobody on New Orleans that's going to be able to match up with Dawson Garcia. At six foot eleven, he's able to can threes, give you 8 rebounds, 3 assists, a block, 19 points per game. Now, with Minnesota, nobody else on the roster has been able to give you north of 9.5 points per game, but you've got five guys from there averaging between 8.2 and 9.2 points per contest. You've got Braden Carrington along with Isaac E. Hen, who have been able to do a nice job as ancillary pieces as well. These two guys have been able to combine for about 9.5 rebounds per game. When it comes to Mike Mitchell Jr., he comes in from Pepperdine. He's been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range and be able to give you a little bit of facilitation as well. And it's a Minnesota team that has looked a little bit better on defense this year than in past years, and they're going up against a New Orleans team that year in and year out. They're just so ghastly with regards to their defense. Like right now, New Orleans is 185th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. I wouldn't be surprised if they hang a banner if they end the season that way. Their defense has been that bad. Meanwhile, you've got a Minnesota team that just has a little bit of better rebounding. Top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. New Orleans, they've got a tremendous go-to score. And Jordan Johnson, who has been tremendous, 23.5 points per contest, shooting 40% from three-point range. But past that, don't have anyone else that's able to give you north of 10.5 points per game. And you've got one player that's giving you north of five rebounds per game. That'd be six foot four, Jamon Vincent. I think that the lack of size is really going to get to New Orleans. New Orleans has been doing a little bit of a better job of taking care of the ball, but I think much of that is a product of the competition that they've been playing. You play against the likes of North Dakota, Central Arkansas, heck, even Loyal Chicago is not necessarily the world's greatest team thus far this season, and that warps things a little bit, so I do think that Minnesota is going to be able to take it to New Orleans. I'm willing to lay up to 15.5 with Minnesota, and with the Soto, did something total at 152. I do think that Minnesota is going to continue their offensive uptick, and I think that the bad New Orleans defense shows up once again. So looking at the over and one delay with Minnesota. 306-591, 306-592. Chicago State plays us to Delaware State. Delaware State is anywhere between a three to a three and a half point underdog in your totals between 137 and 138. And with Chicago State, I did make them a favorite of six points. I'm going to be willing to lay it. 
Delaware State has been one of the most ghastly teams in Division I college basketball for the last few years, and I do think that this is going to continue on. You've got a little bit more in the backcourt with Martez Robinson, who got off to a rough, like, first three or so games of the season, and he's really been able to kick it into high gear, now shooting 45% from three-point range. You'd like to see that, and then you've been able to get about 15 points per contest out of Jevin Munoz as well. Past that, you don't have a single guy that's able to give you north of about eight and a half points per game. Been able to get a little bit of something down low as Olsen Andrews, who comes in from Illinois State, six foot ten big man, was really relegated to the bench. He's been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game, but the versatility of Deshaun Corbett, I think, is going to be able to take hold in this game. He and Wesley Carden have been your main go-to guys for Chicago State. Combined for a little bit over 30 points per game. They're both shooting between 35 and 36% from the outside. Corbett is able to give you 7 rebounds per game. And you've gotten a little bit more down low out of six foot seven, Deshaun Jean Carlos. He's not necessarily been a tremendous outside shooter, but he gives you 5 boards. He does a solid job of being able to get inside, be able to grab those rebounds. He plays some good physical defense. Do like what he's able to do for the team. And you've been able to get a little bit more out of Noble Crawford as well. The transfer from LIU had a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the season, but now he's been able to kick it into high gear. Combined 25 points in the last three games. Currently shooting 50% from three-point range. We should see a little bit of a fall off there. And for Chicago State, overall they're shooting 28% from three. I do think that we're going to see an uptick there. But with Delaware State, this team has been turning the ball over 16 times for contest. Chicago State not necessarily masters at generating seals, but they've been able to do a solid job on that front. And I do think that for Delaware State, they're going to have a tough time in this one, even though they've got a little bit more size. Chicago State just feels like they do a better job of being able to crash glass. I think that that allows them to get the job done at home. So this is a circumstance where I'm going to be one to lay with Chicago State. Set them as a six-point favorite, made by total 144. Got Delaware State defense that last few seasons has been well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So going over, I'm willing to lay it with Chicago State. 306-593, 306-594. Fordham is going to be playing us to Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson is an underdog of 10 to 11 points, and your totals between 158 and 158.5. Set Fordham as an 11.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number for Fairleigh Dickinson, where have we heard this before, in which they have a little bit of a lack of size in this matchup, but I do think that it is going to nip them in the tuchus in this one with Fordham. I like what they've been able to get out of Abdul Sambilia. He's not necessarily a go-to score or anything like that, putting up there right around 8 points per contest, but does a good job cleaning up the glass, 8.5 boards, right around 2 blocks per contest. He's been able to give the team 9-plus rebounds in 3 of their last 4 games, and for Fairleigh Dickinson, you're looking to 6-4 Sean Moore to hold it down down low. Now, he has been able to give you more as he also chips in there 12.5 points, 2 assists, shooting 40% from 3-point range, and it's a pretty efficient team. That's why he turned the ball over about 12 times Per contest, Ansley Amoner has been able to give you 17.5 points, 5 boards per contest, and he also shoots 38% from 3-point range, but you could use a little bit more out of Hiro Blygen, who he a season ago was very solid for the team with right around 7.5 points per game. He's seen a little bit of a fall off in his numbers thus far this season. It is a fairly Dickinson team that they do generate about 9 seals per game, but when they aren't generating seals, they're giving up wide open looks. They're one of the bottom teams in all of college basketball in terms of opponents 2-point shooting percentage, in terms of opponents 3-point shooting percentage, and that's been pretty lackadaisical as well as you take a look at the overall points a lot on a per possession basis. It's 339th for Fairleigh Dickinson. Meanwhile, this Fordham team, they're a top 40 defense. They may not have guys that absolutely light it up, but just off Metter in the backcourt has been able to give you 14 points per game. The UTSA transfer has really done a better job of doing out the ball three assists per game. Now, they do need to cut down on the 16 turnovers per game, and this is a bunch that they're only shooting about 39% from three-point range, but I do think that defense is going to win out in this one. I think that Fairleigh Dickinson gets into 
just issues in general with taking care of the ball and being able to score on this Fordham team and that allowed Fordham to be able to get the job done. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of an up and down battle but I think we've gone too far with this total just because I do think that the Fordham defense locks down fairly Dickinson. So I told 151 after I've been in on the under of Fordham. I want to lay up to 11 with them. 306-595-306-596. Sacred Heart plays us in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is an underdog between four and five points. Your total is between 150 and a half and 151 and a half. This up my total 150. I'm going to be looking at the under. New Hampshire is playing quite a bit more up-tempo this year than they did in past years, but it's not necessarily a breakneck pace. Meanwhile, you do have a Sacred Heart team that I think is going to be able to do a solid job on the glass with the duo of Alex Sobel along with Nico Galetti. These two guys have been able to give you a combined 13.5 rebounds per game, and Galetti at 6'6". Six six, he's got such good versatility. He's currently shooting about 45% from three-point range, 2.3 steals, 14 points per game. That is going to be very difficult to match up with. This is a Sacred Heart team that throughout their entire college basketball livelihood. They've been up and down with their defense, but no, at 120th in the country, in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis is not too bad. Now, for Galetti, he's going to have his hands full with Clarence Daniels, a 6'6", do-it-all player in his own right. That's giving you 20.5 points, 8.5 boards, shooting 44% from three-point range. I do think that both of these guys are going to see a little bit of a fall moving forward with their three-point shooting. And then for New Hampshire, you do have Jackson Baker down low. Comes in for Central Arkansas. He's been able to log about 6.5 rebounds per game, so I like what he's able to do for this team. You've also got Naeem Miller, who in the backcourt has been able to shoot about 38.5% from three, nine points per contest. He's been all over the place with his scoring, though. He has scored seven points or fewer in four out of his last five games, so you've got your question marks there, and that really leaves it up to Ahmad Robinson to be the main guy in the backcourt with about five assists, 15 half points per game. Shoots a relatively solid from three-point range, but with Sikhar, just have more scoring options. Pair of Metro Atlantic transfers and Aiden Carpenter, Raheem Solomon are combining for about 18 half points per game. They're combining to shoot about 36% from three-point range, and then do not lose sight of Tanner Thomas. He's a six-foot-six do-it-all player in his own right that, once again, shooting 15 50% for three. Should see a little bit of fall there, but 13 points, six half rebounds per game. Really do like what he's able to bring to the table, and I think that that's going to be enough for Sacred Art to be able to get the job done in this spot. I did set Sacred Art as a favorite of six points, so seeing this line more than the neighborhood about four to five, I'm going to be one to lay it. And did set my total at 150. I think that you see a little bit of a drop off with both of these teams in their three point shooting, and both of these teams are teams that do a relatively solid job of generating turnovers, especially Sacred Art with 11 steals per game. So diving in on the under, I'm one to lay it with Sacred Art. Three 306597 306598. Compensate is playing LC UMBC. UMBC is a favorite of 10 points with your total between 145 and a half and 146 and a half. And I set UMBC as a favorite of 11 points. I'm going to be one to lay it. And biggest reason why I'm going to be one to lay it. This Compensate team is in the bottom five in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. I mean, this is just ugly. They have scored 62 points or fewer in every one of their games as far as the season. And I recognize that they play Virginia Tech, but I mean, it's not even like they're playing the world's greatest competition. They're playing Miami of Ohio. Eastern Illinois, Louisville, Mount St. Mary's, and they can't score against these teams. They don't have a single guy that's giving you at least 9.5 points or 4 rebounds per game. It's just ghastly awful. Now, the defense is actually not the world's worst in the world because I guess you can't be 362nd out of 362 D1 teams in all of college basketball in every category for compensate. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they're clocking in 291st, so it's not like it's necessarily great. Now, for UMBC, if there is a team that is going to give up points, it's probably UMBC. 
222nd in the country with this regard, and they are a team that's in the top 20 in terms of total possessions per game, but I do think that with the versatility of Deion Brown, UMBC should be able to really dominate this matchup. 15 points, 5.5 boards out of Brown. Not shooting him well from 3, but all in all, it is a bunch of is shooting about 35.5% from 3-par range with the main outside shooter being Devin Sapp. He has been sapping out teams with his 8 points per game, shooting 47% from distance, 8 plus points in each of the teams. Last 4 games, you've been able to get a little bit more facilitation as well out of Marcus Banks Jr. Banks Jr. comes over from Western Carolina and he's been able to shoot about 39.5% from 3 par range. UMBC really doesn't have a ton down low themselves. Brown is the only guy that's able to give you north of 5 rebounds per game. I think he might be able to get a little bit more moving forward out of Max Lorsell Lloyd. He's a 6'9 gentleman that comes in from Penn. He's been able to give you about 4.5 rebounds per game. I do like his overall upside, but this is just a compensate team that's become a pit of sadness at this point. Got a UMBC team that they are running it and gunning it. 80 plus points scored in each other last five games at at least 76 points allowed in each other last five. And a compensate team that has broken the 60-point plateau once as far this season. Good old situation of something's got to give. As a result, I did set my total 143. I think we've got a little bit too high. I just don't think compensate does their part with this total. Looking at the under, I'm willing to lay up to 10 and a half with the UMBCs. 306-599-306-600. Oklahoma's playing against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff is a 29 to a 30 and a half point underdog. Your total's between 154 and a half and 156. I will not stand for this Arkansas Pine Bluff slander. I set them as a 22 and a half point underdog. I am going to be willing to take the points with them. Now for Pine Bluff, the defense has been rough. They are in the bottom 35 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but I do think that for Pine Bluff, they are going to be able to do a solid job with their offense. You've got Rashad Williams, who I just still go back to what he did over at Oakland a few seasons ago when he was attempting 12 and a half threes per game, the most per game for any player this millennium, but he players up very well with Kylan Milton in the backcourt. These guys have been able to give you a combined 39 points per contest, a combined three steals. Joe French has been a great shooter throughout his career, shooting north of 38% from three each of the last three seasons as well. Typically, swag teams really do struggle from the outside. This team is shooting 39% from three-par range now. Size is a little bit of a issue for this team. You've had Ismail Pleppy able to give you five rebounds per game along with Jairi McLeod, but I do think that they're going to hold up against an Oklahoma team that it's not like they've got amazing size as well. Sam Godwin, he comes in from Wofford. He's 6'10". He's been able to give you about 7.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. Certainly, I do think that Oklahoma is going to be able to win the battle down low, but I don't think that they're going to dominate the battle down low. And then for Oklahoma, I was really thinking that Milo Zou Zahn was going to be a nice breakout player. He's been able to average seven points, four and a half assists. It's not like he's been terrible or anything like that, but you expected perhaps a little bit more out of him. This is a Oklahoma team that has a whole, they're shooting about 33.5% from three. Under Porter Mosier, you know that this team is not going to get super out of sorts. They're not going to run in a gun if they're playing a little bit faster this year. We're in 67th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, Pine Bluff, they are a team that is very much looking to push the pace a little bit more, but I just don't think that Oklahoma has the tools to be able to completely dominate this game, even with John Hughley getting back to what he was a few seasons ago at Pittsburgh this far the season, 11.5 points, 5.5 boards. He's shooting 70% from three, certainly that's going to be dropping off a little bit, but with this Oklahoma team, they're made up of a lot of guys that were very solid at the mid-major level that are coming together very well. It's an Oklahoma defense that's given up 70 points of fear in each other last five games, but I certainly do think that Pine Bluff is going to be able to hold in this game. So that might total at a 115.5, so right now we're seeing out there right around 154.5, 155. I just don't think you get enough possessions in this game to go overtiving in on the under, but going to be one take the points with Pine Bluff. 306-601-306-602. North Alabama plays host to Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech is an underdog of anywhere between 8 and 8.5 points with your total between 143 and 144.5. And with North Alabama, I did set them as a 9-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this summer with North Alabama. It's been a 
touch-and-go sort of team with having Daniel Ortiz now being on the fold, but I still think that this team has enough offense to be able to get the job done against a Tennessee Tech team in which you can tell that they're missing Brett Thompson from a season ago. He was really able to light it up from three-point range, and as a result, they're looking at Javis Harvey to really be able to step it up and elevate this offense. With Harvey, he's been able to do a nice job in tandem with Roddy Johnson. These two guys have been able to combine for in that neighborhood about 28 points per game. Johnson is currently shooting 46% from three-point range, and for Tennessee Tech credits, they only turn the ball over right around about 11 times per game. This team is getting lambasted on the glass, so Johnson and Harvey, they're both giving you about five and a half to six rebounds per game. They're leading the way down low. They don't have any size whatsoever, and with having Domain Forrest in the backcourt, I do think that that is going to allow North Alabama to be able to win this battle down low with Forrest. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to go off and have a massive offensive performance, but at six foot nine, he's able to log about eight boards per contest. Has been getting more and more comfortable, it seems like, as he's been at North Alabama. Couple that with Jakari Lane, who series shooting about 36.5% from three, about three assists, 11 points per game. And then you've got Will Sosi, who shot north of 40% from three-point range. He's going to be looking to try to take over a little bit more of that role that Mr. Ortiz had a season ago. He's been a little bit ineffective this year with only about five points per game, but KJ Johnson, he's able to run the show 17 points per game. I feel like he's the best player in this game, shooting 39% from three-point range and with Tennessee Tech. Just been really rough for the team on defense in general, and they have to face off against the North Alabama team that is one of the quickest in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. Tennessee Tech clocking in number 300 in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, North Alabama, they're not amazing, but they're more on 140th, and I do think that North Alabama going to get it done against the Tennessee Tech team. That is a lot of moving pieces. So, one way up to 8.5 with North Alabama. Did something to all 151. I think that North Alabama gets this game up and down, so looking at the over, and one delay with North Alabama we wrap things up with 306603, 306.604. UTSA, meet me for the Roadrunners. A playoffs of Lamar. Lamar is a underdog of two to two and a half points. Total is between 159 and 160. I set my line at one and a half. I do think that this is going to be a UTSA team out for revenge after these two teams actually played earlier in the year and Lamar was able to get the job done. So I did award UTSA a little bit of a bump for it being a little bit difficult to knock off a team two times in a row. But I set my line at one and a half. So being able to get multiple points with Lamar, I'm going to be one to take them. This was a Lamar bunch. I was very much banged up in the post a season ago as they were without Adam Hamilton, who has become their top rebounder for much of the season last year. He's been able to log about eight rebounds per game. And for UTSA, this is a team that does a relatively solid job down low as well. Trey Edmonds along with Colton Lingard. Not necessarily amazing scorers, but they're combining for about 13 and a half rebounds per game. You've been able to have Trey Fuller, the former gentleman over at Central Florida, do a nice job logging about 12.7 boards per contest. But this team in UTSA, liabilities from three-point range, they're only shooting about 30% from distance. Now, to their credit, they don't really turn over the ball a ton. And Lamar, that is where they can get a little bit out of sorts. They are turning the ball over about 14 and a half times per game. And Lamar is going to see a drop-off with their three-point shooting. Currently, they're shooting 40.4% from three-point range. And among players that have made at least one three-pointer this far this season, five out of their six have been able to shoot at least 40% from three-point range. So that'll be going downward a little bit, but this team has really good and equal facilitation as well. I can't remember the last time I've seen a team with seven different guys dishing out at least two assists per game. You've been able to have good versatility out of scary Terry Anderson, who he's able to give you six boards, 11.5 points per contest. He's a lone guy that has made a three that is shooting below 40% from three, but Chris Pyer is able to give you three assists. He's shipping in there about 11.5 points per game. You've had your 
main scorer in BB Knight be able to give you 12 points. He's currently shooting 40% from three-point range himself, but this is a really deep Lamar team that I do think that they're going to be coming at UTSA in droves, but I do think that for UTSA, the fact that they do take a little bit of better care of the ball, the fact that they do have a little bit more of a floor general in Christian Tucker is able to give you five assists per contest is going to allow them to be able to win out. I think that they're going to be able to tinker around with what went wrong the first time around when these two teams first played. You had UTSA go 8 of 30 from 3 and 11 of 29 for Lamar and an 82 to 90 win for Lamar. So I do think that we are going to see a little bit of reversal here and for UTSA could only make them a one half point favorite. So here at 2, going to be one to take the points with Lamar and did set my total 153.5. I do think that we are going to see a drop off with regards to Lamar's 3 point shooting. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a sloppier game that is going to lead to a little bit of a lower scoring affair than we saw the first time around. So diving in on the under and we'll take two or more with Lamar and that'll wrap things up. For the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Seeps, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Seeps, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, if one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're about fire and whatever you like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Big thanks to Greg Waddell over at Sleepers Media in the field of 68 for joining me in the last segment. And I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.